Man, oh man, we've got a lot of ground to cover today. Listen to this. I love it when somebody enters their radio career through an interesting door. Our guest today did just that. Now, now look, we're going to go go to some interesting places, get some interesting stories, hear some advice from somebody who does a wide open morning show in a highly competitive market right now. Great educational background, programming, and mornings are a big part of this person's resume, their story. This sounds like exactly the kind of person that we'd like to talk to on our podcast. Welcome to the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast on Apple, Audible, Spotify, or almost anywhere you get your podcast. Listen, our goal is always the same. Encourage radio pros at all levels. If you are a regular listener of this podcast, you know that we drop a fresh weekly episode featuring a radio pro working right now in radio. We do it each Sunday. And to enjoy our podcast, you only need to be interested in others. Uh, Be open to encouragement, advice, connections, tools to get ahead, and ways to make your radio career more profitable and successful. You know, we're all stronger together. We can learn from each other. Each week, we have an opportunity to see kind of a snapshot of an individual in our business. It allows us to see radio from a different perspective, a different career arc, maybe than yours or mine, and hear how they're embracing radio right now. My name is Lloyd Ford. I'm with Rainmaker Pathway Consulting Works, or what we call ourselves, RPC. Our practice is pretty simple. Uh, We call ourselves a multiplier because we help local radio generate higher ratings and higher revenue. It's just this simple. When we go to work for a client and they follow our collaborative process and strategy, their revenue and profit margins rise. We're not here to change them. We're here to help them get their goals accomplished. Ideas are the new technology. Where do your ideas come from? Are your local radio stations programmed and positioned to collect the most money today in your local market? Do you need better sales recruitment strategy? could be, we can help you. Schedule a meet by email. Uh, It's easy. First consultation is free, F-O-R-D at RainmakerPathway.com. We're just about a minute or less away from welcoming Cash Warren, morning show host of 97.3 The Eagle in Norfolk and Virginia Beach, and it's going to be a fun one. Uh, A big thank you to Joe Kelly for producing the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast, which we make available minutes after we record the live interview. And uh, we we usually kind of share it in our social media. That's how people become aware of us at first. Then they find out, oh, my God, there's a huge podcast with all these episodes. We have over 130 episodes in our archive. So when you subscribe on your smartphone, boom, you already got a lot of things to choose from and listen to. Thank you to JustJoeProductions.com for creating our audio footprint and distributing our podcast. See what you can get for free from our team in our free blog section at RainmakerPathway.com, including our encouraging sales success series and our more than live and local series. And now let's uh, let's do something for us. Let's see what we can learn from this week's guest. Cash, welcome to the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast. How are you, sir? Doing well, Lloyd. Thanks for uh, reaching out, man. I'm excited to be a part of this. I've been so excited about this. You you have a kind of a a bounce to your cadence, and uh, uh, you always seem to be smiling. I love that about you. Where did you grow up? 
Oh, goodness. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting. I uh, I was born in uh, Los Angeles. All right. My dad was military. So spent a little bit of time in uh, Long Beach, California. Uh, and then from there, family on both sides on mom and dad had settled in southern New Mexico. And so most of my life growing up, going to high school, all of that was uh, was spent between Alamogordo, New Mexico and Las Cruces, New Mexico. And uh, yeah, man, just playing out in the desert, you know, where the wind blows 60 miles an hour, you know, and sunshine all year long. A lot, lot, a lot different compared to coastal Virginia, if you know what I'm talking about. Oh, uh, yeah, they got to nail stuff down out there, right? Because if not, yeah, it goes away. Yeah. We had, I mean, this past weekend, right? We had it was a uh, we had a tropical storm from that uh, hurricane that kind of was out in the ocean, and you know, we're talking about doing some breaks on Friday. Talking about just, hey, be on the lookout. 40 to 50 mile an hour winds expected. I was like, the winds gust 80 miles an hour where I come from, you know. So, but I get it, right? But uh, yeah, no, it's it's a lot different than anything that I've ever kind of messed around with. Coming from, you know, Texas and New Mexico to coastal Virginia. Yeah, big difference. Yeah, I was really surprised because I thought you were going to tell me. I did not know where you grew up, to be frank. And so, you know, I was like, I, my vibe was that you're a Texan, but look at this further out West. It's kind of interesting. What was that first experience that you had with radio as a listener cash? You know, small town radio. I, I remember they were just always everywhere, you know, early nineties, late eighties. And they had so many great events happening around the city. You know, I grew up, for example, you know, some of the great promotions that they did that I'll never forget was I grew up close to White Sands National Monument, which is a just a, a crazy, you know, collection of white gypsum, gypsum sand that's collected in southern New Mexico. And a local radio station uh, growing up, 94 Key, would have Day at the Sands. And I remember going out there on the on a weekend, probably Memorial Day, something like that, maybe Labor Day, one of the last big weekends or that first big weekend of summer. And just thinking and just kind of being amazed at what a, a radio station could do when it came to bringing people together. And even, you know, some of the other things, Saturday in the Park is another big one that I remember that was radio station driven, you know. And so those stand out a lot to me. And being, you know, mm -hmm. having been blessed, you know, and fortunate enough to grow up pre-cell phone era and all of that. Well, um, right. I mean, we had boom boxes and blanks and blank tapes, you know. <laughs> so if you wanted absolutely. to. If you wanted to, you know, catch a, you know, the, the latest single, you know, you had to be quick, you know, you had to hit that record button fast. So I did a lot of that. And I just remember winning contests. I remember my mom, um, you know, doing radio contests when I was a little kid living in Las Cruces, winning tickets to like Clint Black, you know, um, of the early 90s. And so one of the greatest um, pranks ever was, was a radio prank that I'll never forget that my mom had my brother and I it must have been it was early 90s and there was a guy on the radio in Southern in Las Cruces and uh, April Fools right um and he right. Had, he had told everybody that they had cut they had got some information from the telephone company the telephone company was going to blow the dirt out of all of the telephone lines and to wrap oh. your rotary phones in plastic bags and so my mother made sure that my brother and I tied up all of our phones in uh, plastic bags for the sake of the telephone company blowing the dirt out of the lines. Right. And so I, I'll just I mean, things like that I'll never forget. And then, you know, the next day, a radio guy got you, you know, calling in, doing yeah. requests, you know, special dedications for mom and dad's anniversary growing up. That was a thing that we used to do, you know, and so 
we did that type of stuff all the time. You know, the Friday night, Saturday night request shows, trying to be the one that, you know, does the countdowns, you know, number coming in at number five, ten, whatever it might be. You know, right. but, uh, this was entertainment for us, you know, during the summertime before the video games and things like that, you'd call and harass your local radio disc jockey. You know? so, well, it was a relationship. Now, look, you brought up something interesting. You know, I got to go to Texas and I worked for a really interesting uh, small operator. OK, and they were always launching these contests that didn't really cost any money. They just were creativity. And sometimes, you know, today I get in conversations with clients and I try to open up, you know, think about what you can do that doesn't cost anything. It's yeah. just relational. Yeah. You know? I, I think you got to play off people's emotions a lot, you know, and everybody yes. just automatically begins to think of a giant, you know, promotion as maybe like a getaway or something. When I was programming some stations in Amarillo, Texas, um, again, I, just off of that, you know, I was sitting watching Christmas Story one night and I was like, I'm going to give away a Red Rider BB gun. You know, you and so we created a promotion around a Red Rider BB gun. You know, the BB gun itself, you could probably get for maybe $100, probably even less. I wound up turning it into like a $3,200 promotion using, you know, different businesses in and around town. And despite the fact that you could easily just walk over to your local Walmart or whatever and buy one, you know, people like, you know, they, they like to be a part of something. You know, now, so this means for every salesperson that is listening, every radio salesperson, don't overlook the morning show talent or somebody on the staff who can come up with something creative that could turn into a lot of money for you, right? Absolutely. So, yeah. So, so listen, I, we always like to make a stop with education. So interesting to me, you went to both New Mexico State University for your BA in communication studies and to Hiffen University, am I getting that right? A Master of Humanities in Film, Cinema, Video. Now, I'm going to stop you right there, Cash. Is there a movie career that I don't know anything about? Are you simply sharpening your skills for social media? What What in the world? You know, I I'm a initially I went in my my undergrad in communication studies. Um, I needed to fill that minor. And so I had taken just a bunch of film courses and I always being interested in not so much as an actor, but I liked film history and theory. And there's probably a part of that on my resume. I don't know if you saw it or not, but I, I wrote a film review in a newspaper. Um, I called it In Cinemaniac. And what it was, it was more movies and less sleep. And so um, I, I would go in. It was pretty cool. I would get early access to some of the films um, that would release. And there would be an occasion or two where I'd be the only guy in there watching. That's the best way to see a movie, by the way. Absolutely. Unless it's a comedy. You got to see a comedy with a bunch of people. But I would, um, you know, I <clears throat> I did a lot of film review. Um, I was interested more in the film theory and film as like communication through symbolism. Uh -huh. That's what I that's what I liked a lot. And I also liked I took a film analysis class where we would and it we met once a week. And we would watch, you know, some of the biggest films ever, you know, ever made, you know, Citizen Kane, Casablanca, things like that. And what we were what yeah. we were trying to do was trying to find the symbolism through some of the different shots that the directors would do throughout the years. So I really like the this, undertones, things like that. Yeah. Really, yeah really do you find that this helps you in your social media today? Because we've become so visual. 
You know, the funny, the film thing, I think if anything, that's helped me the most is on the air, right? Because I, yeah. as a film guy, I wasn't like into the production elements of, you know, any, you know, like reels or editing, anything like that. The funny thing is when I was taking like cinematography classes and some of the instructors that I had, I would look at, you know, some of the, some of the visuals through cinematography were similar to like uh, what Adobe is through like the wave. Mm -hmm. You have the wave format. You can see if it's overmodulated and things like that. Now I'd always point about that looks overmodulated over there. Oh, that's not important right now, you know. <laughs> but um, in regards to the film, like the the film stuff, you know, like any guy, like hey, I'm a movie guy, you know, movie quotes and yeah. things like that. But my my movie, I mean, it goes deep, right? And so yeah. that's that's I think cinema has benefited me that way but more on air compared to um you know the social platforms I, I i don't know i i've never looked at it i if anything you know i that's something that i need to you know be stronger at is editing you know um some video you know and just kind of juicing it up and using the different elements and production qualities that are, are resources that are available for everybody to use nowadays but yeah the film thing for me was more in terms of I, I was looking at it. I, I was going, I was going to get out of radio and try to get in in community college and probably do like some film analysis, film theory type stuff. That I get a little interesting. That, that's probably okay. That's probably more of the so, angle. So so look, the information I have says that you started your broadcast career with Salem Communications as a network operations tech. What was that experience like? And what did it teach you? I was working in Dallas and this was before I went to, uh, before I finished my undergrad, I went to the American Broadcasting School in Dallas. Um, mm -hmm. And it was before I graduated, they had, um, they had some openings. And so Salem, they were looking to fill an overnight position. And so we had job placement uh, through the American Broadcasting School and they had set everything up and it was just exciting, uh, the idea of getting out and working, you know, for your first kind yeah. of professional radio job, especially in a market like Dallas, you know, because as a oh. young, as a yeah, as a young twenty something, I'm like, oh, I, I never want to leave here, you know, I'm right. gonna be here and make it work. And I just thought, you know, based on the conversations that we had, you know, if you can get your foot in the door through promotions or whatever, you know, you can you can take it a long way if you just play your cards right. So Salem was the first one that came knocking and. It was it was a really, really weird job. Um, you know, Salem, a uh, religious company, and they they handle uh especially the network operations in Dallas would send out the overnight religious programs to all the different stations around the country. They had five different satellites that they fed these programs throughout the country. And mm -hmm. the different stations themselves had automation systems that would record these different religious programs. And so in the middle of the night, I could get a call, you know, from, hey, this is the, this is uh, KR, you know, WX in Wichita or wherever, right? Kansas, you know, Arizona, Wyoming uh, right. missed whatever religious programming that dropped down at three. Can you feed it back down? And I would look at for an available satellite and I'd be like, I'm going to feed it through, you know, feed X. Let me know when you're ready. And then I could distribute those programs through the different state. It, it was insane. I mean, it was. So that insane. job, it was not a local job. It was a lot of stuff. Yeah. And it was overnights and I got paid really little. And I, I worked six nights a week. Um, I The only night I had off was Friday nights. I worked Saturday nights through the Thursday night, had Friday night off. It was the only night I would. And it was 11 to 5. 
it was the uh, the time I worked. Uh, except for Saturday nights, it was eleven to seven. It was two more hours. And- All right. So so listen, if you're lit with a passion to do live radio, you kind of got to make that jump to being on air to actually doing your thing. I love interesting doors that people walk through. The next thing you do, you're working as a live morning show host on Sports Talk. This might be, in my opinion, maybe the best way to jump in because with Sports or Talk, uh, no records. You've got to do it all. You've got to bring all of the content. Is that how you saw it? Well, I, I saw it. The Dallas thing, what happened was that I recognized that it was going to be clearly more challenging for me to land an on-air gig. And so the benefit for me was that I was from a small town. And so, again, that small town in New Mexico had about 30,000 people in it. And so I just thought, well, here's what I'm going to do. My plan was I'm going to move back home and I was going to look at El Paso, Texas and Albuquerque as the markets to work on, you know, uh, landing an on-air job. But in the meantime, yeah. use the small town radio stations just to get on and start working. And so moved back home with the intention. Uh, first two areas I went were El Paso and Albuquerque. I chopped off a bunch of resumes and things like that. And again, as a young broadcaster, not thinking, well, I even at that point, I didn't have enough experience to land a job in El Paso or Albuquerque, you know, top 100 markets. Mm. So after a couple of weeks, I stopped by just the local radio station. They had two different uh, local stations in my hometown. And I had done some some small voice tracking at the other group. And I thought mm-hmm. that if, if there's any chance to get some real opportunity to get on the air, it's probably going to be with the other guys. Because the, that other group that I had done some voice tracking with had st- stability. They had their guys. They'd been there for 100 years. And mm-hmm. so I went in and I just dropped off an air check resume to the station. I was like, listen, you know, I'm, I'm in town. This is what I've been doing. If you need any help, let me know. And I get a call the next day and they just had uh, a weekend full of remotes. And they're like, hey, we need some help doing these remotes. If you can't come help us out. Great. We'll go from there. And I was like, all right, wonderful. So I jump on and I do this weekend of remotes and I get a call on a Monday and it's from the um the station boss, his name was Phil Runnels at the time. He's like, hey, listen, you know, we, we appreciate you coming in over the weekend. Now we want you to do the morning show. And I was like, wow. What? Yeah, yeah. I mean, as a, you know, being you know, as a 22 year old, you know, uh, that had just moved back in hopes to land something like this. Yeah. You know, I was like, hey, this is terrific. And what wound up happening is that uh, this was a three station conglomerate group. They had two FMs and an AM station. Uh, they had a country station, a classic rock station, and the AM station had sports and news. And mm. the the sports, the AM station also did local play-by-play high school, things like that. And so they, they had actually hired me to take over mornings to do the country station. They had another girl there um, that had never done radio before. And, you know, I, I had at least had a couple of years and I was coming out of a broadcasting school. And mm-hmm. in addition to that, I was going to help out with um, sports uh, as much as I possibly could because yes. they, had just, they had just hired another uh, guy to come in and take that over. But he didn't know much locally about the high school programs and things like that. And so we kind of jumped on and uh, we would, you know, I would help him out. He, But he was more or less the host. I would do live mornings on the country station. And mm-hmm. then at two o'clock in the afternoons, I would go over and help him out and do some sports talk stuff. Okay, you know? so let's break this down about you. Okay, you're in Dallas. You're like, man, I got to get my foot in the door. This is for everybody else, right? If you're listening to this and you're like, 
man, how do you do it in this radio business? How do you really do it? You don't just think I can't. You go, where can I? And not only is the Dallas thing a good example, but but you moving back home and going, all right, I'm going to try to get these jobs, but I'm going to go to the local radio stations. I'm going to do this. The, the coolest people that appear on this podcast are always can-do people who are going out of their way to make themselves available, just like you did when you did those remotes, like, boom, you know, and what did that lead to? All right, so look, you you work for Regent in El Paso, Double O Broadcasting in Odessa Midland. You're you're now I see you're re- also responsible for daily music logs. Was it your desire to directly get involved with programming radio stations at this point? What was going on? That was when I was in Midland, Odessa. Um, mm-hmm. That the, that time that I had worked, uh, I after I took over that morning show, after doing those remotes, I wound up doing the morning show on that uh, country station for a couple of years before I got um, I got hit for a job opportunity in Midland, Odessa for Kix 99. And that's a mm-hmm. funny story because the morning show, Mike Lawrence, Mike and Dana, were, you know, where I grew up in New Mexico, it's based at the Sacramento Mountains. And I'm talking, they're beautiful mountains. They got, you know, towns and stuff like that. The morning show hosts in Midland, Odessa had a cabin up there. And so they they were familiar with the area. And so when I applied for the job, you know, that, that definitely helped me. But they initially had hired me to go over there just to be their afternoon guy. And there was a lot of talk about me being a part of a third uh, a third member of the morning show, because at the time, Double O was looking at syndicating Mike and Dana and all of their other uh, stations that they had owned around the country. So uh, went over there, was doing afternoons, just started doing really well. And I, Mike Lawrence was the guy that I kind of credited to kind of taking me up a few notches because I was just a kid doing mornings in southern New Mexico for uh, southern New Mexico for a couple of years. And he was like, yeah, you're pretty good, but you're not that good. Instead of doing it this way, try doing it that way. You know, and Mike mm-hmm. really kind of, you know, showed me how to get the phones going and, you know, how to structure breaks, you know, and do things like that. And I think a lot of the problem also, unfortunately, uh, Lloyd, as we all know, is that they were also feuding with the midday gal who had been working there, you know. Um, And so I think, uh, honestly, I think they were trying to push her out. Um, And so they kind of threw me the responsibilities of being music director because they that that was her gig. Right. And so they, they stripped her of that. Give gave it to me as a music director. Oh, and by the way, we shared an office too, right? So right. it's like, oh, that's wonderful, you know. And yeah. so yeah, I, I didn't really think too much of it at the time, you know, of getting into programming because I at that point in my early 20s, I was just like, I'm an on-air guy, you know. I was like, I'm all right, but you're in trouble here because things keep going west for you. For a guy in Norfolk, man, you took your first programming job at KZZX in New Mexico. Was that a big leap in terms of job title and additional workload? Did it stress you out? Did you go, oh, what am I doing? No, I didn't at that point because I had worked enough at the um, Kicks 99 to, especially music wise, you know, I had learned selector, you know, and I was doing all of the changes and I, I, I learned how to rest music. And I also realized that just because a song was a number one didn't mean it was going to automatically turn into a gold. 
right? Yeah. And so learned a lot of that from working with the company. We had some format captains and we had some consultants that I worked with pretty closely just in terms of learning, you know, what music to play and when to take it off and when to rest it. And you're just looking at the charts and doing those types of things. And so the the thing when I decided to take that KZZ, when I decided to take my first programming job, full programming job, I had another plan in mind because at that point I still hadn't graduated with my undergrad. And so I also wanted to re-enroll in school and knowing that a morning radio schedule was beneficial, I just thought, well, I'll work mornings, I'll get off at a decent time, then I can take my coursework in the afternoons and finish my degree. And so I, I didn't feel overwhelmed jumping in to KZZX. I felt pretty confident in my abilities at that point to lead the station because I knew that I was strong enough on air to handle it. And I knew the guys that were running the station. This was the same station in my same hometown that I didn't go to because they had all those established guys that had been there for a really long time. So I knew I knew a lot of the other program directors. I knew the owner. And so I knew that if any questions that I was going to have or challenges that I had the people in the building that were going to help me, you know, fin you know, be able to accomplish anything that I set out to do over there. Okay, so let's talk about 2014, because you did something that many of us in the fabulous radio business have done. You took a break from radio. You became a career counselor at New Mexico State University. Now, this is interesting because you've got that educational background, and I'm sure that that can help you out anytime that you need it. How big of a switch was that? And what did you learn from that job? You know, what's amazing is um, I got out of, I, I was kind of frustrated at the time, like so many of us, because I was stuck in New Mexico. I always wanted to make moves in radio, you know, and what I wanted to do first is I wanted to graduate. Once I got my degree, I, I started looking around at other opportunities, radio opportunities. Sure. I would send out air checks and I'd have some interesting conversations, but nothing would ever pop, you know, and so I applied at my alma mater and they wanted to hire me. And I was like, all right, let's give this a shot with, with all the, with every intention of radio, just kind of being something that I did for a little while. And I was just going to work on, on, you know, uh, my grad program. I had started at Tiffin and, uh, it was when I, when I started advising, um, my stu the students would come in who were also listeners of mine. Right. And the, yeah. I just I couldn't believe it, Lloyd. You know, I get, you know, the the impact of radio. A lot of us kind of we go every single day not realizing, you know, how significant we are to people's daily commute. But people would come in and they'd be like, why'd you leave the radio for? Like, it's terrible now. I can't even listen. And that kind of hit me pretty hard because this was just a small town. I really didn't think too much of it. But the impact that I kind of had doing small town radio to people's kind of daily you know, routines like that. I affected that in a negative way, you know, and I was kind of surprised. I always tell people that you, you never really know your impact because most of the time people won't tell you. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's very few people who will tell you the other people. I mean, it happens, dude. Later you learn like, Oh my God. And it seems like you had that experience. Listen, you spent some time in Texas. Next, you work for Alpha Media, 97.9 KGNC, and you did mornings and programmed. Uh, how'd you find doing both of those jobs? Is that pretty challenging? It, you know, it is. And especially now that as I've got older and I think a lot more about programming, um, I had a lot of help. Yeah, and with Patrick Clark, Patrick Clark is a is an old school country radio guy, you know, and I never would have been able to do it without him. He had, he was a part of KNG, KG and CFM for, you know, 30 plus years. 
Mm-hmm. And so I leaned on him a lot. I delegated a lot of stuff uh, to Patrick. Patrick was my music guy. And Lloyd, the, the crazy thing about it is when I initially got hired, Patrick was my program director. All right. Huh. And so it, it took me eight months. In eight months of taking the KGNCFM job, I went in as just the morning guy. Eight months later, I was the program director of the radio station. And when I first went in there, we were owned by uh, Morris Communication. I think that's based mm-hmm. in Atlanta at the time. And then shortly after, we didn't even have a market manager. The market manager from, um, where was he? From Kansas, Toledo. He was not Toledo. What is it? So, something in something with a T in Kansas, outside of Kansas City. But he was driving down. Topeka? And, to me, yeah. Perfect. Yeah, Topeka. Yeah. He, he was driving down once a month from Topeka to handle uh, market manager duty because Morris had that other group in Topeka also. So about, you know, it wasn't until, no, it was Larry because Morris still loaned us. And it was after right. Alpha bought us after I took over as um, as PD. So that was really that it, it was challenging um because I probably at the time leaned more on Patrick to kind of handle things, especially music, mm-hmm. because I was so one of my doing doing the morning show with Nancy Mack at the time. It was it was my main focus. And I was also tasked with constantly coming up with revenue generating promotions. And so imagine that. I know, mm-hmm. right? But I but I spent more time coming up with ideas for promotions than anything else. Right. Uh, because we had format captains with Alpha, you know, which which kind of made things. Um, and so Patrick would would talk with people in Portland. They would handle our, our music, you know, um, conversations. I think the thing that would be interesting at this point for me now is and I will get into another programming job one of these days. Really? If if I get in, you know, if what will it you know, I, I see what the relationship is now with the reps at the level that I'm at. I mm-hmm. wonder what I remember having multiple co- the phone never stopped ringing right still with right. reps you know play this song play that song play this song mm-hmm. um i would like to measure that again at some point and just to see how serious is it at that level you know say in that that range of market size compared to where i am currently you know right and now, i don't know if it would make a difference because again we did have format captains and i and i right. think it's still very much a thing at some of those areas you know some of those small radio stations but I didn't at the time feel as if it was too much, but as a 40 year old now that type of morning show, I I could never probably see myself programming a station and doing mornings. I I think I always tell people, if you see that I've taken a job programming in mornings, which I've done before, know that things are not going well. Yeah. That's, I think, I think that's definitely a red flag to look at. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So listen, there's something in your work history that I just am curious about. It's called social me communications. What is that? When I graduated with my undergrad, um, I did a, an internship at the, uh, and this was, you know, inter- obviously intern, you're supposed to learn something like I, I got, yeah, that's inter- right. yeah, I got the internship at my local chamber of commerce where they just put me to work, you know, like, oh, we need this fix. We need this, that, and the other. So I was tasked with help building their social profiles, social media profiles. Okay. And so what I did is I worked, my internship was over the course of a summer before I graduated and I would go in and I built this, the chamber of commerce, social media platforms and I, you know, their Facebook at the, and this is well before the TikTok. This is before Instagram. Yeah. This is primarily Facebook and, you know, and LinkedIn for business. But listen, that had to be pretty interesting. You had to learn something about those people and. 
And especially well, connecting some of the older ones up, right? It, you know, I the, I think the biggest task that I had with working with, in in a small town like that was trying to explain to people what social what social media is there to do. It, you know, and right. they, they thought that it was just constant for business. You know, pushing product things like that. I was like, well, th- there's you got to find a balance. You know, and so, and I, I really, I kind of found one just by doing my own research. So I do this internship and at the end of the internship, they're like, Hey, we want to hire you to keep this going, right. To keep up our, our social media. And so what I decided to do is I decided, I decided to start a business called social media communication. I went through, um, and I got my LLC. I did everything that I needed to. And I more or less started my own marketing company through social media. And so I was doing radio on the side. And the thing for me, I, I was able to pull it off because I lived in such a small town and that mm-hmm. social profiles and social media marketing just really hadn't blown up yet. And so I would go in, I was doing a morning show. Then in the afternoons when I was off, I was going to businesses and dropping off like, hey, this is what I can do for you if you're interested. And there for a minute, I mean, I, I, I was able to double my income and I was making some good money on the side. Hey, listen, Cash, I'm going to tell you something. I tell this to clients all the time. Just because you don't think this is happening, there are digital pure plays and people doing all kinds of digital things in your market. And if you're not active, uh, and if you're honestly, I mean, I always think that our people at radio should be the most creative. It's not always true, but it should be true. You know, so I think that experience for you is really kind of interesting. Now, let's catch up with today. Okay. You're doing mornings for Max Media, Hampton Roads, 97.3, The Eagle. That's a big chair. Can you tell us about your current job? It's a lot. It really is. Um, Content creation is tough, you know, and just coming up with something, you know, interesting on a daily basis. You know, we've tried everything at this point. Um, we, we've tried some things, we've pulled them off when we first got here, when I first got here, uh, it, they were kind of hitting the restart button completely. And we thought that we'd come out of the shoots hundred miles an hour. We pick up, we picked up second date update and mm-hmm. we, ran, we ran that for a couple of years. Um, and again, just completely out of the ordinary for WGH over the years. Right. But just trying to find a balance. What is it that people want to, you know, what, what are they into nowadays and working the PPM market too, right? It's always a challenge. Yeah. And this is a challenging spot also, right? Because coastal Virginia, Norfolk, Virginia Beach is heavy military, right? PPM, does they don't access military. So it's really hard to get a, a, a legitimate gauge to, you know, our, our, the impact that we have doing local mornings. But it's a, it's a very, I mean, it's a country strong um, market, right? I mean, we just yeah. had, we, we have crazy concerts every single year. Uh, we had Jelly Roll roll through. We got CMAs mm-hmm. that are coming out, you know, coming up soon. I mean, it, it like I said, th- this is I've got to do incredible things while hosting uh, WGH um, here in Norfolk, uh, Virginia Beach. I've got to meet some incredible people. I've got to travel and do some amazing things. But, man, it's tough. it's really an incredible, dynamic, interesting market because of all those things that you mentioned and a bunch more. Not to mention the beach and all that, too. So, I mean, right. you could just throw all that in there. Listen, yeah. you've won Morning Show of the Year in several different states. Not just one. I'm just saying. I'm bragging on you here. <laughs> Does that give a morning show confidence or more confidence when you win awards? What What's that like? 
I, you know, to me, it, it's just a game. I love, I, I love, I love the, I love the competition. I love to put my work up against anybody else because I, you know, it's just, it's a, at the end of the day, you win those contests. I mean, and I'm not trying to play it down, but I, Lloyd, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a production contest in some degree, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah I got some great clips of what, what we do in the mornings, you know, but like I've never taken a lot of time putting those things together, you know, every single time. I mean, we, I've won it four times, you know, yeah. so the four times that I've won broadcaster of the year, you know, it, it's just, I, I always sit on good content. Right. But I think, you know, I, I, I'm married. I have, I have small children. Right. So mm -hmm. I mean, at any given day, at any moment, I can, I can tell you some crazy story about what's going on in my life, whether it be you know or it. with my kids and things <laughs> like that. And the funny thing to me, it's like, that's that's just real life stuff, you know, and so I include all of that in, into, you know, if I'm submitting for, uh, you know, air check personality of the year and it's I mean, it, it hits a home run. I would you love a trophy, to do you have a trophy case for that. What, what do you do with them? I, I got them all. You know, I have so many. Right. I got them in the cloud. I'm kidding. Stop it. No, yeah, right. I do. I, I got I mean, they're all kind of on display and they're cool, you know, and nice. I, I, hope, I, I hope to win some more. But no, absolutely. I mean, I think any time that you are recognized by your peers. That definitely makes you feel like you, you know, I, I, I'm doing the right thing. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, it, it's, it's wonderful to win those awards. It's validation, you know. I guess for all right, all the hard so, work. So listen, you do mornings. You've really taken to doing mornings. Clearly, it's all in your resume. It's you're brought back to it again and again and again. Do you have a, you have a morning show that you really look up to and go, oh my god, or two or three that you go them yeah i you know growing up especially i honestly probably as of lately probably not especially a morning show but i mean buzz adams and the klq morning show growing up in el paso i mean that mm -hmm. guy especially for you know and i, I hate to i hate to like especially based on that market you know I, honestly some of the most talented radio people i know are not working in in larger major markets they're working a small right. Absolutely. I mean, th that's where, I mean, it's almost like the structure of Major League Baseball, right? Your double-A players are the ones that, are, that are, have the best chance. The most talented, most creative radio people that I've ever met are working small-town radio. And El Paso is a big city, right? But Buzz Adams and the KLAQ Morning Show growing up, that was just, it didn't get any better. For, I mean, he's still on today. I mean, he's still doing, I, and I listened to him. I've been out of high school. I graduated high school in 2001. I, I, I remember yeah. growing up. I remember sitting in my car and and waiting to listen to the different bits that he did, you know. Um, and so listening to him, I mean, he he was a major influence on me to get into radio because nice. he, he had the rock morning show. He had the different guys, the different characters, and they were just they were nuts. And it wasn't like shock jockish at all. I mean, I was a stern right. guy. I would wait. I would watch Stern on E because I wasn't in an area you know that had his morning show until I moved to Dallas. But I remember mm -hmm. I had the opportunity to listen to Stern, you know, before he made the jump on Live 105.3. And that blew my mind. You know, when I when I went to Dallas and I heard major market radio, I mean, they had Howard Stern on in the mornings. They had this guy, Russ Martin, on in the afternoon. Tom Likas was the after, was the evening guy. Loveline. That kind of radio was like, this is where I want to play. Right. We had the yeah, opportunity right. when I was in Dallas. We had the opportunity that the. The program director came in and talked to our class and you know he said that 
he was trying to make uh, more or less a Maxim magazine for men on the radio. And this is the early 2000s, right? And the alternative yeah. format has since kind of went under. But I would say probably Buzz Adams, Howard Stern for sure. And I'm a, I, I still am a big Colin Cowherd guy, you know, the uh, Fox Sports radio guy. I mean, I've, I've, yeah. been, I've been riding with the herd since the late 90s, you know, and I watch him every single day still because he's, he's on TV too on FS1. So well, this is probably not talked about enough, but we all stand on the shoulders of people who went before us that we go, okay, that's cool. That's a cool way to do it. Let's talk about the future a little bit because, uh, well, we kind of lure you into it on this show. Uh, if you could control it, I'm not saying you can, what would you like to see the future of local radio be? I think we... We got to really try to do something to tie in our digital platforms and maybe even look at influencers as people who can potentially cross over and be a part of this world that we play in. Because I think it's I think it's all the same. You know, I think that we're all if there's a contest, unfortunately, between radio and the digital platforms, radio lost a long time ago. You know, and so I think that managers and management in in every division, corporate at the highest major market to small town, mm-hmm. you got to start using your social platforms in a way that's going to get your products out more. Because I think that even as 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 a as a um, media as an advertising company, you know, um, your social platforms is where everything kind of is, right? And I think small town USA is going to struggle with that a little bit. You know, but because I know that there's small towns that just they don't even mess around with the websites and their social platforms and things like that. But I think we got to find a way to to tie into those. And I think we also got to find a way to to figure out this balance between content and music, because if music was the key, then the stations playing the most music would have the highest ratings. And that just isn't the case at all. You well, know, that's true, isn't it? That's well, so and, interesting. I mean, some of them, some of them do okay, right? Some of them do okay. Like, I think there's some format, like your classic rock stations. I mean, that's a music that like classic hits. There was a class, Jamie Carr, who is a is a genius radio guy that I worked with in um, Amarillo, Texas. You know, again, just a smart, smart guy, and he he played in Houston for a little while. You know, but the corporate side of that stuff doesn't let you be creative, you know. And so he moved to Amarillo and he created um, the Eagle, which is a classic hit station over there. I mean, it wasn't even close. I mean, it it killed everybody, you know. And the motto is we play the best music ever made. Why would you ever want to change? Right. I think, you know, I also think is interesting with music is you're seeing a lot of cross genre type stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. even the country music, you're seeing rock and country. You're 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 seeing yeah. Nashville guys headline headlining rock festivals nowadays. So yes. I'm interested to see like, will there ever be like a potential crossover with some of the shows like the Jelly Roll show, like Jelly Roll rolled through here, you know. Well, actually, he he it was more of a country format because he had Ashley McBride, but I mean, like, you know, your nickelbacks and Brantley Gilbert shows that are that are, you know. Well, here's the interesting thing, right? You kind of said this in an interesting way, but I'm going to bring up something that we talk about all the time on this podcast. Once you have a radio station, you get anything else you want. That's a quote that I use a lot. Okay. And what I mean by that in 2023, or let's go ahead and, and fast forward a little bit into 2024. What I mean is radio is a lot more than just what's coming out of the speakers. It is it is your relation with the audience in social media. It's how you interact with them. It's how you get attention. 
And you're right. You know, we have to become really good at doing a lot of things. And I don't see why we can't, because I think that some of the most creative people ever, as you have pointed out, they come from radio and it's not always the biggest markets. It's a variety of things that you see. Yeah. Ash, I want to thank you for spending this time with us and being our guest. It's been really great. It's been a lot of fun, man. You know, it's always fun to talk radio, you know, especially with, you know, some pros that have been swimming for a long time. And just I I love the fact that, you know, we're trying to visualize the future and we're open up to any ideas. And I think as long as we're all in in that frame of mind, like, let's just whatever it takes, you know, let's just be stubborn, you know what I mean? To whether it be the latest social media platform that's going to come in and help us, you know, we got to we got to be a part of that stuff, you know. And Always. I also think we also we need to hire younger management to, at some degree, you know, yeah. we, we got to start trusting that, you know. Well, because we don't, you know, where does innovation come from, right? Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, please don't take for granted what we're doing here. And help us by sharing this episode right here. You can do it from our website, rainmakerpathway.com. It's in the free blog section. I think it's called free stuff. You figure it out. And uh, please share it with others who are interested in growing their careers in radio and audio. Because this is what we're up to. This episode of The Encouragers, the radio podcast, is designed like the other 130 plus to be in our archive, to help encourage radio pros at all levels. You can get it right on your smartphone. You know, we've got a quarterly sales event coming up on October 12th. We're calling this thing Salesperson Momentum. Uh, I want you to be aware of it because we're going to have some very special guests that we're going to announce soon. This is this is the kind of thing, it's not all about us. We get experts in the field making revenue happen right now, October the 12th. You want to be hanging out for that. We do want to thank our special guest today, Cash Warren, morning show host of 97.3 The Eagle in Norfolk and Virginia Beach. A special thank you to Joe Kelly for producing The Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast, which we make available rapidly after we do the live interview and thank you to justjoeproductions.com for creating our audio footprint and distributing our podcast now we say this all the time i just got through saying this in fact we say it on the podcast i say it to clients regularly it's something that i firmly believe in once you have a radio station you can get anything else you want if you have questions about this philosophy please reach out to me it is a joy to share my passion with you about what's possible through radio today. If you don't remember anything else from this episode, please remember this, be kinder than you have to be. Thank you for being a part of the radio rally with the encouragers. Now go make it a great week in local radio.